I am the Rock Out of Podcasting. Charles McFall. This is, guess what? It's the Rock Out of Podcasting. This show is Reddit's AMA meets Kevin Smith storytelling, meets a side of punch in the face with energy drink for breakfast in the morning. If that sounds interesting to you, then something's wrong with you, just like it is with me. So join me for this hour of storytelling and adventure. Mike has a question to set us off. What do you got, Mike? All right, sir. Um, one of my favorite things from the 90s is uh, a little animated show called Pinky and the Brain. Pinky and the Brain. Yeah, man. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I don't know. Brain. Anyway, I, I can't do voices, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. And man... You got to love somebody who feels so strongly about doing something that they just keep pounding away at it. Yeah. Dude, you're a world dominator. So I just thought we'd take a second and, and see where you're at in that process and, and maybe see if you have a little bit of advice for other <laughs> world dominators out there. Uh, sometimes I don't feel very dominant. <laughs> I don't feel like the dominant species. So it, it, it goes back to a story when I was 12 years old. And if I've told this before, of course I have, because, you know, it's a storytelling show. You're going to hear it in different episodes because different things play together. It's, it's a big mishmash of mashed potatoes and food. And I just lost the analogy, so I'm going to move on. So when I was, I think, 12 years old, something just dawned on me that I was destined for greatness. It was just, it was a literal, literal revelation don't know exactly why I had it or how, what triggered it. I don't remember any of that. I can only remember the feeling I had with it, you know, how I felt about it, right? That it was something different, something almost outside of myself. And then beyond that, what I can remember is telling my mother about it and her not knowing what to do. And I literally said, I don't have any idea what this means. I just know this is something because it's different than anything else that's ever come to me. It's just a revelation and it stuck with me. And, you know, we could talk about bending the universe. We can talk about, so I don't understand deja vu, right? People talk about deja vu and in theory it's supposed to be, you know, a memory or something you've experienced before feeling like you've experienced something before. But here's, there's different things I could talk about with dreams and moments. What I can say about it for myself is there have been confirmations that I've been on the path. And I've always focused on what I need to get out of life. And I've been distracted. Don't get me wrong. I've been distracted. But everywhere I've worked, ever, i become a legend. And I talked about that, actually, I think on even the last episode we did. But it was this, that's the first memory I have of, changing my life going okay i understand i'm different than everybody else i understand that that people aren't going to get me and you could say oh that's puberty that's what sure whatever but it wasn't a mopey thing it wasn't it was never a poor pitiful me i'm, I'm just like everybody else because i'm different you know oh nobody gets me it, it wasn't any of that it was just hey one day greatness is is waiting for you and you're going to do this and it was always this picture even at 12 years old is this picture of being on a stage with you know a big stage with a big audience and, and lights and don't know what it meant other than that just kind of saw that do i see the future no 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 i'm just saying that was the vision that i had and and man one of these days with this show we're really going to dive into 
uh, how time is really a bubble or, or everything happens at once. We only perceive it in a line. And, and especially when I understand more science behind that can really back it up with some examples or theories, at least I'd like to talk about that, but that's a whole different ball game, right? That's a whole different thing. So I moved forward in life, right? And, and things are going on and I had a real big tragedy that took my mind off of that when I was 12, same year, the same year. And I don't remember which happened first, to be honest. But the short version of the tragedy is uh, my father worked at a church as an assistant pastor. Politics got involved. Mud was slung. Backs were stabbed. And he stood up for what was right. And the, the people who were controlling the church pushed him out. And that happens, right? Okay, you stand up, you, you fight the good fight. A lot of times you can lose that fight. But the tragedy was, one, at that time, I'd 100% been somewhat brainwashed, although this is not a bad thing to believe. I've been somewhat brainwashed into going, well, the church, Jesus is love. I mean, that's the definition of Jesus, right? God is love. That's the first thing they teach you as kids. And I was in this church from age five to age 12. And that whole time, God is love. God, and I've, I lived at the church practically. Every time the church doors were open because I was homeschooled, I was there because my dad was the preacher. My mom was the preacher's wife or, you know, assistant preacher, whatever. And, you know, it was this thing. It was this job. And we were there constantly, me and my sister. And it was this place that we lived. And then all of a sudden, the church, which is God to me, right? The church is not love. And I did not know how to handle that. Not only that, not only did things get ugly and I got to hear, because I snuck around the, the experience because my parents tried to shelter me, I not only got to hear and see some of it, how awful nasty the church really is and how awful nasty politics are and people are when they play at religion. And this is in the 80s, right? And, and so I got to see that and got crushed and had no idea how to handle any of that. At the same time, when he lost his job, we lost our house because part of his pay was the house that we lived in. And so we got put on the street by the church. And I had no, and this is Southern Baptist Church, man. This is not Catholic because I know Catholics, uh, the deep Catholics, the priests live in the church. Of course, they're not married or whatever. I, I don't know. I don't know all the ins and outs of all the religions, but I know there are some religions that they assign preachers to certain churches and this and that and the other. This is not that. Southern Baptist Convention is you basically go get a job like any other job. It's just a church. If they hire you, they hire you. If they don't, they don't. And you work out the deal, you work out. And part of the deal was we don't pay you very much, but we give you a house because we own the house. And we, they paid the utility bills and everything, I believe. And so we got put on the street by the church at 12 years old and literally moved down the block to live on. I slept on the floor of our, our family's friend's house. That was a two bedroom, one bath, little house for a single person. And now there's a family of four plus her living in this house. And my sister slept on the day bed in the living room. I slept on the floor and that was our life for a few months while well, my dad went to work for Walmart and had to serve the people that voted to kick him out of the church until he found another church. And it was, it was, it was tough. And there's a lot of lessons learned. We'll talk about that. Some other show, um, about faith, you know, and you know, there here, Mike, put, write this down. I want to talk about at some point parents teaching us things that they didn't ever intended. And us as the children 
learning truths that even our parents don't believe. You know, that's something I would like to to talk about at some point. Because uh, my wife and I both went through that, and that's a interesting show to do. But talking about domination, so I went through all that, became a bully, to be honest. You know, I had been bullied that entire time I was there in that area, uh, that, that from 5 to 12, and vowed a lot of different things. One of the vows was that would never happen to me again. And, and true immature reaction and true unexperienced reaction to these kind of things, just trying to get control back in my life, right? Then you become the thing that you hate it. You, because your ultimate control. So I became the bully and that's a whole different story. And, you know, one of these days, we'll, we'll, you know, all these stories will come out eventually. So that was when I was 12. So when I was 12, I had that major, tra- I mean, for me, that was, that was um, the marker of when the darkness set in. And that was, because before that I was naive. I was buying into everything the church shoveled at me, and it was highly religious. And just for the record, and we'll, I will clarify this many, many, many times over, religion is man-made. Man can come up with anything, people, humans, whatever, can come up with anything for you to believe in, and you'll follow it and you'll believe it. Politics is a good example of that. Politics and religion are exactly the same, and they're both stupid, and they're both man-made. Faith. Believing in something bigger than yourself is a whole different ball game. I'm a man of faith, and faith lets you flow. Faith lets you see science and the supernatural, if you will, God. You know, I'm just trying to put God, your universe, whatever, in a different category than science. Okay, so let's faith. It lets faith says science and supernatural can work together; that they're not mutually exclusive. Faith lets you get along with people and find things to to connect with as human beings versus religion going, no, you're not like me, get out. That's the difference for me. I lost all of my religion that day when the, we got kicked out of the church. I lost all of it. And I'll be happy to tell those details of, of everything I understand that went on. I've had a conversation with my dad since then that I did record and I believe I've lost. <laughs> I did a, I did an episode with my father where I asked him, Everything, the ins and outs of it, as one man to another. You know, tell me your experience of what happened there and let me know, as, as opposed to having a child's memory of it. And that's why I have a much better understanding of, of it now than then. Anyway, that became the darkness. I mean, I lost everything because I, I was 100% religious up to that point. I believed everything that was ever told to me. And it's one of those things of cheating. Right? I've never been cheated on. I've never cheated on anybody. But what I see as a human reaction to cheating is I, I, I have to question everything that ever happened. I can't believe anything now. It, it's this major thing has thrown me off. And that's what it was there. Was it, it threw me into this darkness. So I went through that. And, of course, it doesn't help that I was entering my teenage years anyway. And by the time we finally got a permanent church where we moved, I was turning 13. So that just tells you, oh, you're a moody teenager is how I got treated as opposed to somebody who could not deal with the tragedy because I was also in a religious household where they probably weren't dealing with it either. You know, when you're in a religious household, and this goes for all religions, but insert specific language for your home and your religion here of, oh, it's, it's all, God just has a plan. God has a plan. Well, it's a pretty shitty plan. 
in my understanding right now because all I know is I hate. I have rage. And I couldn't, of course, express that at 13. But I can look back, and that's, that's what it was. I mean, I, I destroyed so many doors as a 13 and 14-year-old because of the rage that I carried from all this because of the damage. And that's what rage is. Rage is damage plus time without any help, any understanding, any, any addressing of it, any healing. And I, I carried rage, man. And you got to figure this out, too. By the time I was 14 years old, I was six feet tall. By the time I was 16, I was my height and practically the weight. I think I was probably 350 pounds by then, too, because I was a fat kid. And that's a whole different thing about damage and being raised and lifestyle and all that other stuff. So I was I was the tank. I mean, Mike's met me. Uh, maybe the, some of you listening have met me before. You at least seen me on stage somewhere. You know, I am I am bigger than life in many ways, mostly in energy and in, in happiness and in joy and exuberance and and just being able to deliver my message. And I'm I'm very much the legend that everybody holds up to be. But I'm also physically bigger than life a lot of times. I'm not super overweight. I am overweight without a doubt. But I'm not what you call, oh, my God, he's fat. It's like, no, I could lose some weight. But I'm just big. I'm, even with losing weight, I'm a big guy. Big bones, you know, big muscles, big everything. And I'm balanced. So I have long legs and a long torso. I mean, it, I'm just a giant. I was that at 14, 15, and 16 with all this rage. So you can imagine the terror I wrought in people. And I had no idea. I really didn't. I just All I could do is focus on the shit in my life and, and what was going on in the darkness. And I use that term specifically. So I went through this period and during a, a point in all of that, and I think it's probably after 16, I'm not entirely sure or no, it wasn't after 16. I know it wasn't after 16 because I know the specific memory I have. So as between the ages of 13 and 16, when we were at this other church where I was the bully for a while. And then at that, see, I learned during that time that didn't work either. Now, I still have some friendly connections with people there. We were friends. I was just a huge controlling ass and was a master manipulator and a liar and, and a thief and just all those other things. And people followed me because I was a gang leader. I mean, I was the man. And and that's the thing. I was always born to be the man. I was always born to be the rock god of podcasting. But without positive experiences, without help, without seeking help on my own, which is ultimately what I did, I couldn't become the guy I am today and use my powers for good instead of evil. I mean, I, 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 I have a very intuitive nature without ever knowing why or knowing specifically how I can tear you down in a heartbeat. Just meeting you with my words, I can rip you apart and leave you crying on the ground. It's something in me. It's, it's a, a natural thing. It also lets me nowadays show you the good in your life that you can't see. And I can just dig in and start showing you a different way to look at your life. And that's why I'm infectious. And it's just a thing. I mean, there's, some, there's people I've teased being funny that we weren't great friends, that they bawled. Because somehow in that teasing, I instantly zeroed in on their weaknesses and hit it hard without intending to. You know, uh, 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 I would never call anybody fat, but I can't remember the joke I made about somebody. And it was literally to everybody else in the world. It's just, a, oh, oh, that's a funny little thing because nobody knew this person's problem. 
and she she went silent for and this is when social media was brand new but she went silent for like a week and wouldn't respond to me wouldn't do anything i was like huh why are you doing that and finally she came back and says i know you didn't mean it because she had to take the time to heal from it and, and understand because she knew she never tells anybody about this little area that I, I smashed and so she knew it wasn't my fault but she says i know you didn't mean it but the joke you told that hit right at the worst thing that's ever happened in my life and something i can't deal with very well and that's that and this is when i was an adult and that's when i realized i have this inherent ability to do that to people so let me be aware of it be very careful with my words and make sure i understand people so when i tell a joke i'm not stepping right inside of their wasp nest of uh, darkness in their life anyway so between the ages of 14 and 16 13 and 16 rather there came a point in my life where it got so dark. I mean, I, I, I did the bully thing. And I was getting zero connection. I tried to talk to my parents a little bit, as a teenager does, which is not, hey, mom and dad, I have this huge ball of rage inside of me, and I feel empty, and I feel like nobody in this world understands me. So can you help me? No teenager does that, right? No, no most adult human beings don't do that. So I don't remember how I reached out, but I remember reaching out and it failed time and time again. And my dad, because of his relationship with his father and him not dealing with that, he and I never had a good relationship. And we have a fun one. We have a fine one, but we, we could not communicate, couldn't talk. It, it was a weird. It, it still is a weird thing. So I was alone and I went into my parents' bathroom and and. I was not truly suicidal because I've been a paramedic and I can tell you who's truly suicidal or not. But I had, I had these, these alone thoughts, right? And I, I remember sitting in my parents' bathroom trying to decide what I was going to do. And, and I can look back and go, well, I was never going to do anything stupid because one, I was born to be who I am. And secondly, after being a paramedic for 10 years, going, you know, I actually didn't have any tools. I actually didn't feel dark enough to really feel despair. I just felt alone. So I knew I wasn't actually doing anything. But at the time, you don't know what you're doing when you're between 14 and 16, 13, 16, whatever. You don't have any thought. You're just caught up in this dark emotional roller coaster. And I just remember thinking, do I kill myself or do I watch the world burn? And instantly, I swear to God, Mike, instantly, I went, fuck it. I'm going to make this world burn. And from that moment on, man, I did. I did. And it was the darkest moment in my life. And I remember life in colors. I remember life in colors. And that color is just the darkest shade of midnight you can think of through those years. I have brief moments of memories of things that were done, like real life memories. A uh, real fun one was because we lived on church property every Sunday and every Wednesday. When we got done with class, me and the boys would run across the property back to my house. And I had... Uh, I think it was a Super Nintendo at the time. And we played Super Street Fighter 2 or something. I forget what Street Fighter we're playing. And we'd have these tournaments. And that was just so much fun. We always did that. And we even made up, there was this well house with a brick wall and a space to run it. And we made up this game uh, where we threw a tennis ball at it. And you'd have to catch it. And you'd throw the ball at each other. And it was just, I have some fun memories. Don't get me wrong. But the time is really shadowed. If you think of it, okay, here's for the millennials. If you think of it in Instagram and you have all the different filters you can have, some of them kind of destroy the picture. Some of them kind of enhance the picture. Some of them kind of darken it, lighten it. My filter was dark over everything. 
uh, during that time. And so that this all plays into the world domination story. Uh, I just go where the memories take me. I go where the moment takes me. That's what I'm telling you. You will almost never get a yes, no answer out of me. It just listeners, if you ever ask a question, just know you're going to get a story. I've had to uh, educate my son. I've tried. I've tried to say, okay, my son's name is Oakland. Oakland, you know, I want you this, this, and this. And it just feels so unnatural to me that I just embrace it. I told him the other day, we're talking about girls. I'm like, look, you need to ask me and your mom about things. And you can pick one. It doesn't have to be both. You can pick one. You know with me, when you ask me something, you're going to get a story about my experience so I can relate it to you and help you find your experience. With your mom, it's going to be a whole different thing, a whole different way of doing it. You can choose one or the other, whichever one you think is going to work for you at the time. That's fine. Just I embrace it. I know what I'm going to get or what I'm going to give. Anyway, so I decided to watch the world burn and went from there and just and literally it was fuck it until you could prove to me you're better than me i am always better than you and unfortunately that's been true 90 percent of my life where adult teachers just could not outthink me and outtaught me i knew the bible backwards and forwards better than them i felt like the church was 100 hypocritical i would ask hard questions i'd ask hard questions in public like well, if Adam and Eve are the first people ever, then two things have happened that are wrong. One or the other, but both are wrong. And I don't understand them. One is, well, when Cain killed Abel and he ran off, there were people. Well, you know, I, I, you know, but, but, but how are there people if Adam and Eve are the first people? Well, well, okay, if that's not the case, if something else weird, then all of us come from incest. Is that what you're saying? Because that's kind of how this goes biologically. Is Adam and Eve get together? They have kids that are brothers and sisters. If those are the only people in the world, then they have each other. And now we're, we're all products of inbreeding? I don't... Oh, well, that's because religion gives you no answers. Religion asks for blind belief. But I did that stuff in Sunday school, in church, in front of me, embarrassed the shit out of my parents constantly. But they couldn't tell me to stop. Well, okay, they did. They did tell me to stop, uh, but in ways that say, look, you're disrupting the class. Just, we get it. Just shut up. Just leave them alone. (laughs) But as far as the questions go, they don't have answers. They wanted just to, well, we ignore the stuff in the Bible that we don't understand. And that's the stuff I zeroed in on, man. That's why I love science fiction. That's why I love monster movies. Not horror movies. Horror movies are stupid. Horror movies are such a weak... Horror movies are worse than religion. They're such a weak premise. They will break their own rules. They'll fold back on each other. Well, okay, in this moment, this is how this is supposed to work. But in the next moment, it can randomly be whatever we want. And it relies on scare tactics. Pop up. Ooh, oh, gotcha. That's stupid. But good monster movies hear the rules in the universe. This is how this works. Okay, so we can either overcome the monster or the monster overcomes us. Love that thought. I love science fiction where anything can happen. Love Doctor Who where just amazing things happen and we figure it out. And there are some true tenets to human life that I could have used as a kid, which is, no, love does conquer all. Eventually, you will find love and it will heal this darkness that is inside of you. But when it comes to world domination, when it comes past all of this stuff, when it comes past the moment of me figuring out I'm better than you until you prove you're better than me, I embraced the darkness. But we'll get to that in a second. So in all in the midst of all of this, 
I did have a few Sunday school teachers or a few few people, adults, who could guide me because they would never just say, well, this is what the Bible says. They would say, hey, that's a good question. Let me, we don't have an answer, but let's talk, let's talk it out. Let's tell you what I understand about this, and you can figure out what you understand about that. And that's a teacher I'd follow. That's a teacher I would be cool in class for. I'd, I would just be excited to go hear from them because that's a true teacher. That's somebody, if you can say, I don't know, that's the beginning of great teaching. You know, or if you can say, with I don't know about some things, you say, no, no, I do know about this. That's a great teacher. So we moved to uh, where my parents are now, which is Athens, Georgia, and we're in a church there. And by this point, I just did not care about anything. I was 16 going, uh, I just turned 16. I got my license. We moved in, my birthday's in September. We moved in October. And I was like, you know what? I'm pushing to get out of high school fast. I think I was becoming a senior or as a senior that year or something like that. Uh, yeah, pretty sure that was my senior year because I was homeschooled and I pushed to get done with this stuff and I pushed fast. So I was like, I don't care about any of you people. I don't care about the church. I don't care about the people my age. Uh, to be honest, I only cared about these girls that had the huge tits and that was it. I mean, that's just the way it was. I didn't care about them as people. I was just like, you got some big old titties. I like you. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I never connect, I kept everybody at arm's length because, because I had friends that tormented me as a child. Then when I moved, I was the bully. I couldn't find what was right, and I still had this damage inside of me. So I just said, fuck it. I don't care. I'm done with everybody. I'm just going to take my life and run with it. And in that moment, I met what is still today my best friend in the world. And that's a whole other story that I'm not going to digress on. And then, uh, you know, I, I met, through him, I met the person that actually changed my life forever. And his name is James. James Spencer. So Spaz Douglas is my best friend uh, to this day. Even now, uh, we were just talking the other day, and I introduced him to his wife, uh, who they've been married. Man, I guess I gotta get be close to. They have to be over. They gotta be close or over ten years now, because um, I was only married a few years before they were. Anyway, uh, his brother had. I always get these mixed up. There's cerebral palsy. And then there's cerebral something. Uh, I can't think of it. But MS, there's MS and there's CP. Cere there's cerebral palsy and then there's, I forget what, muscular sclerosis. I think muscular sclerosis is the one that is the young killer. It gets diagnosed early as a child and as they progress, their body just shuts down. And they end up in a wheelchair. They end up you know, on, on dialysis and peeing in the bag and those kind of things. And then they die usually in their early twenties. And I believe cerebral palsy is the one that your body does shut down, but it's usually older later in life. And it's not progressive. It just thinks certain things happen. You can fight off other symptoms and you can live the rest of your life in a wheelchair and, and so on. My uncle had the cerebral palsy. James had muscular sclerosis. So when I met him, he was already in a wheelchair. 
And I met him by taking Douglas home one day because I still, even in the darkness, man, even in, in this damaged time of my life, I was still the guy that helped everybody. I still, the, and it gave me tons of tools because I had no fear. I had zero fear. Although I had fear of everything in my life. I was, I was afraid that people would figure out who I was. That was my biggest fear in life then. But outwardly, I just didn't care because that's how I compensated, right? If I'm afraid that you're going to find out who I am, I'm afraid of who I am. If we really narrow that down, then I'm going to overcompensate by being the king of the world, by being that guy who does the things that nobody does. Oh, my God, that was like, can you believe that he did that? I'm, I'm the TV show, right? The, the stuff that you, you don't do in real life. That was me. I was the TV show. But I was also very helpful. I did other things that other people wouldn't do, which is take a guy 30 minutes home outside of the city, which was Douglas, which was he was becoming my friend then. I'm like, sure, I'll drive you home. No problem. Sure. Everybody else is like, oh, city folk, man, city folk. And I live in the city now. I've lived in the country. I've lived in the city. In the country, everything is, is takes time to get places. And, of course, you do, without, you, you, you do without certain city privileges, right? Like running to the store or having high-speed internet nowadays. Having a good phone service, you know, then. Having cable TV. You do without that in the country. But it's a little bit different. People come together, some more community. In the city, you can you can have both in both places. But in the city, it seems like a little less community. But you have all these conveniences, right? But I got to tell you, I've dealt with people in Atlanta. And at the time, I was living out in the country on the side of a lake. And everything was a 45-minute drive one way. I would drive three hours to a band practice because I go after what I want. Here's why I didn't understand about people. Oh yeah. I want to do that. I want to do that. What is going to take you an hour to get to my house. Oh, you know, that's too far. Are you shitting me too far for an hour? Then you don't want what you say you want. You just don't. And that's maybe not a city country thing, but anyway, in this particular story where I'm taking Douglas home, everyone's like, Oh my God, you live 17 miles away. Oh, like seriously, get in my van, dude. Or my mom's van. <laughs> get, I was six, 16. Get in my mom's van. So go to his house and he invites me in just to meet his parents or whatever. You know, it's like we're dating or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> uh, hello. It's just weird the way it came out. But I came in. I was like, oh, cool. You got an indoor pool. That's nice. Like, yeah, my brother, he needs it. You know, it's how he gets his exercise. Uh, we go into the house. And this is in the early days of Tandy computers. So most people didn't have computers, much less gaming computers. And here we are. And, of course, I walk around and was not prepared to see his brother in a wheelchair at all. He, he taught me how to treat people like people. Douglas did. Because they never said, oh, you got to understand my brother's in a wheelchair. He didn't, he didn't apologize at all. He just let me walk into it. And I, in my mind, I was like, oh, what the hell, man? What the? Because I was a damaged weirdo and very close-minded and had a very close-minded reaction inside, at least on the inside. On the outside, I didn't say anything. I was like, hey, cool, man. And I'm like, oh, what's that? You've got a computer. Like, yeah. And he's playing Doom. This is when Doom, the original Doom, first came out. And actually, no, he's playing Wolfenstein 3D at the time. And so I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And, and that's neat. I've never seen anything like that. And I'm like, yeah, would you like to play? What? Sure. And so I sat down and started playing. And, and James is talking to me. And Doug's talking to me. So it's like, oh, my God, you've got cool shit. I want to come hang out here. And so I did. And I got to know James. Now, here's the thing about the, me at the time. My idea of world domination then was to physically or emotionally or, 
or with my language dominate people. And I can instantly tell, like I said before, I know your issues. I can just pick up on it. I can smell it. I can almost taste it in the air. I know what your issues are when I meet you. Now I pick up on that and I stay, you know, I'd be very tender about it. I stay away from it. I understand how to to step back or or kind of lower my tone or if if you know you're you're scared of big people or whatever. Not just that, but that's just an example. But I always knew, I always knew when language would bother people. And I was the biggest, fastest guy to an inappropriate situation, you know, throw out fuck and shit and damn and cunt and all those words. Right. And, and or just talk about sex stuff to people's faces uh, just because I knew it'd make them uncomfortable. You know, I knew how to do that. But with James, I found myself never. His parents never said a word to me. He never said a word to me about the language I use and how I talked. And I found myself in that place be, becoming more real. Becoming ashamed of, I was like, oh, fuck yeah. And then I'm like, oh, sorry, man. They never said a word about it. They never said, don't cuss in our house. They never said, that's, that's bad language. Not once did they ever judge me or correct me. And I found myself, interestingly enough, correcting myself. And in that place, I stopped cussing. I stopped being over the top aggressive. I stopped doing a whole lot of things. And then James, uh, well, okay, so I spent a week with him. Um, uh, uh, actually, no, I spent a week at their house alone. That's what it was. I was house sitting. I don't remember. They took him to Disney. Anyway, I spent a lot of time with him. I helped out. Uh, Douglas and I both went through this thing called Civil War Patrol. We got first aid badges. We got Red Cross stuff. Um, so I didn't hang out with him a lot and helped out with some medical stuff. And that kind of got me interested in the medical world and ended up going to be a paramedic for a while after that. But this is through high school graduation and those kind of things. Um, but then uh, I did go through the summer, got a girlfriend, blah, 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 to all that later. I went to college, and I remember in the first couple of weeks of college getting the phone call from Douglas saying that James had died. And nobody could touch me then. I mean, nobody. And it has to do with the girlfriend I had, too. Uh, she found the chink in my armor. She showed me my weakness. And so I bricked it up. Right. So I'm, I'm literally got this huge wall. And yet when James died, I, I didn't know what grief was because it took me three days to figure out, oh, I'm grieving. <laughs> but I didn't want to eat. I mean, I, I bawled like a baby. And I, I'm thinking, of why? Why? I mean, what I knew is dying, too. I don't care about anybody. Fuck the world. Right. I'm watching it burn. And I in those three days, at the end of those three days. And no, I don't have a Jesus complex. I don't know why it's three days. But in those three days, I don't remember much of life during that time. Like literally, I mean, I went to class. I, I interacted with friends. People knew that that this friend of mine had died, so they gave me my space. But on the inside, I'm just struggling with everything. Going, why? Why do I care? Why am I sad? Why is this bothering me? And I think I realized then because. For the first time, then this is, I understand this is sad, talking about growing up in a religious household, and I understand this is sad growing up in the church, but for the first time in my life, I understood what love was, and I understood what Jesus was supposed to look like. And many times since then, I've t- told this story, I, in, in religious aspects, I say, he was Jesus to me. 
for the first time ever, somebody who believed what they said about faith and, and Jesus and the church actually lived it and showed it. And without him ever saying anything about being a Christian or his faith or his belief or anything, he showed me what Jesus looked like. And that changed my life then. Not because of religion or faith. I didn't all of a sudden find the true meaning of God. What I did realize was inside of me, there was some, some really deep, dark shit, some stuff that I didn't want to deal with. So I locked it behind this huge, in my mind, I pictured this huge iron door, you know, like you'd find in, in, in uh, uh, National Treasure or Indiana Jones. You know, you, after you do this big, long hunt and you've overcome all these obstacles, there's this one last obstacle. But behind it is a monster. So I locked my monster in this big ass door, but I realized I, I'm going to change my life now. I realized that I've been living in this darkness and that's when I embraced the darkness because for a long time I tried to fight it. I struggled with it. You know, I, I it's like, oh, you know, I'm supposed to be good. I'm supposed to be this thing that, that my parents tell me I'm supposed to be. And I'm supposed to be this light in the world and blah, blah, blah. But all I have is this darkness. And then I embraced, I locked the monsters away. Okay, or try to, and I dealt with that later. But I embraced the darkness. I told you all that to get to this point. Embracing the darkness as part of who I was allowed me to then control it. It allowed me to then control my life and make honest choices because I was finally being honest about myself to a point, to a little point, but to a point. And that's where I really started taking the steps to making the progress to what I do now. And because I had to get honest about who I was. And being honest about who I was, I'm the guy who tells the dirty jokes. I'm the guy that, that has darkness in me, and I like it. I, I appreciate it because I, I can relate it now to other movies. Like there's a movie called The Rundown with The Rock. There's a movie, older movie called Quigley Down Under with Tom Selleck. And both of those movies have some similar themes, but the thing that stood out to me was both in, in Quigley Down Under, he liked the rifle. And he always preferred the rifle. They kept trying to give him a pistol. He didn't want a pistol. So at the end of the movie, the bad guy makes him try to do this quick draw fight. And I'll get back to that. In the rundown, The Rock likes his fists. He likes, you know, fighting the bad guys physically. And he hates guns. And then at the end of that movie, spoiler alert, from the 90s, <laughs> if you haven't watched it, you can still go watch it. But at the end of the movie, when he's fighting the bad guys, he grabs guns. And this moment changes. And he's really good with them. And then in going back to Quigley, they have the quick draw fight. Quigley wins because he draws faster and shoots better. And the, the bad guy doesn't love, I love that he doesn't die instantly. He's all perplexed and I don't understand. And the essential line from both The Rock and Quigley are, I said I didn't like those things. I never said I wasn't good with it. I said I prefer doing it this other way, but I'm, I'm badass with this thing. And that's how I feel about the darkness. Oh, no, no, no. I never said I wasn't willing to break you in half, possibly even kill you if that's what need be to protect whatever's going on. I said I prefer to work out a much better solution with our words and meeting as human beings. And that's how the darkness is to me. And that's where I really started my true path to, to dominating everything. Instead of being trying or instead of loudly announcing I'm the best, I just quickly realized my flaws well, okay, quickly being over like 10 years. <laughs> but uh, from that moment on, I became who, I, I got on the path to become who I was. And I embraced that darkness. And we went forward, uh, met my wife, um, 
you know, did you, she helped change a lot of things with me about the anger. I mean, this, the, the monsters that were locked behind the door, I dealt with them slowly but surely through life. And she came into my life and kept prying at the door, and not intentionally. And this is all metaphorical imagery in my head, but taking a crowbar to the door. What's behind this door? Why is this locked? Why, you know, I want to be a part of your life. And, you know, when the monsters came out, they weren't nearly as bad as I thought they were. And she helped me deal with those things. So, Leads me to what I do with podcasting and finding my niche. Every job I've ever had, I know I've said this many times, but I become a legend at it because I, because I am honest with myself, because I understand who I am, because I have grown up with this long ass story that I've just told you for the last 40 minutes. And that's just, man, that's just a surface. That's just a surface of what I've been through and what I've understood and what I've experienced. Because your experiences, if you learn from them, your experiences become who you are. If you don't learn from them, your experience becomes the damage that you carry. That's the difference. And because I started learning, and because it can be retroactive, because when James died and I locked the monsters behind the door, I was in college. I was 17 years old uh, at that point in college. And I was becoming my own man. And and 17 is still young, but this is when that happened. And I became aware, and I started looking back over life. So you can actually deal with, Make your past experiences learning experiences once you start becoming real with yourself. And that's what happened there. God, there's so many other side notes I can go on this. But the point is, I was, I'm always very good at business. I'm, and I'm still figuring, here's the thing. I am 38 years old. And I'll be 39 this year. And I'm still learning things about myself. But because I'm open, because I have embraced who I am, that becomes easier and easier and easier. And when I would go, when I got out of college, I went to, to go get a job in fast food. I've worked every job type pretty much known to man uh, within reason. Uh, okay, let me just rephrase. I've worked a ton of different jobs. And in every job, I've become a team leader. i become some kind of leader. I never get, at that point, I would never get management. I never get actually recognized. Because little side note, here's a little moment for all those of you who are raptured into this story. Or in rapture, whatever, whatever the fucking word is. For all those of you who are liking what you hear, here's a moment for you. If you don't believe you're worth anything, that will come off. And while I, and that's what I believed about myself is I'm not, I'm worthless. I'm, I'm I can't be good. I was still processing, and I'm talking about decades of processing, uh, maybe up to 20 years. I mean, I was 17 when it happened. Uh, by 27, I made good progress. Okay, no, by 37, I, I'm pretty goddamn good. I mean, I, by 32 or 3, I was the right guy podcasting. So maybe not quite 20 years, but over 10 years of processing from 17 of having that aha moment because somebody died and I lost them and I couldn't figure out why I cared to now, you know, to, to when I actually became, no, I'm worth something. It took over 10 years. Right. And that's active processing. That's active. I want to be better at what I do. I want to be the best at everything. I define myself for a while. I define myself as being the best. Well, okay. Most of my life, I define myself as being the best, but that the definition of the best changed <laughs> over, over time. So I go into get out of college, I go into a fast food chain and want to be a manager and they're opening a new store. So they're like, yeah, we're gonna make you manager, whatever. Actually, for the first time in my life, even though it was a team leader for a long time, I was better than most managers that were there. But luckily, there were some good ones there. And that's the thing. To be a leader, 
Richard Marchenko defines leadership as follow me. He is the rogue warrior. It's a great uh, series that I read when I was a teenager. Uh, he actually has a leadership book out there. It's really good. I learned a lot from it. Um, but Richard Marchenko uh, was an interesting man. I'm not saying he was a great man. He was definitely an interesting man. I learned some things, but that's the biggest thing I learned with leadership is follow me. And if I can't find somebody that's doing that by nature, I will lead. I try to tone it down. I try to sit back, but it just oozes off of me. It, it radiates off of me. And even if I don't say things, when somebody's stupid in a room, people kind of look towards me to go make this right, man. And it's just a thing. It happens. So I've embraced that too. I'm like, no, if you don't say follow me, if you don't live the follow me life, I will run you over. I can't help it. I'm sorry. It's like driving a, a big truck in a fast lane and little cars trying to go five miles an hour in the fast lane. You're just going to get run over. All apologies. Sorry you died. Moving on. Bye. You're in the wrong place. You're trying to do things you can't handle. God, man, I could tell so many stories. One of these days, uh, we might just have a, a pepper pepper show. Where people just, pepper is, uh, uh, okay, in baseball, you know, they just throw different balls, right? You, you're peppering the ball. I don't, I got that from Field of Dreams or something. I don't remember. It stuck in my head and the word came out. There's your cold open, Mike. One of these days, we're going to have a pepper show. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> but basically, it'd be, hey, tell us about this experience. And I'll try to keep the story to just that experience. You know, all these little stories of, of specific things I've been through that I could share with you that I just don't have time to get into all of them today. But the point is, I have run over so many preachers. I've run over so many teachers. I've run over so many managers just because, God, they just didn't understand they were dealing with the rock out of podcasting. And I didn't understand they were dealing with the rock out of podcasting. See, once I understood that about myself, once I understood about that, about who I was, then I can, I can be very kind. I can be much like uh, uh, the best celebrities out there. The best celebrities out there who you know, I'll, I'll use Stephen Amell as a good example for now, for the time at the time of this recording, Stephen Amell is a huge star in the geek world as arrow on the CW. And you go to, to geek conventions anywhere. He's the rock star, him and Grant Gustin, are rock stars. People go crazy, but man, when they enter a room, they're not the Look at me, I'm the superstar. They are just these down-to-earth guys who are just still blown away by the fandom. They embrace it, they understand it, they get it, they know who they are. Without a doubt, they understand who they are. But they're kind and nice and will give you the time of day and then some and real people. And once you understand who you are and that you're these five steps above everybody else, once you understand you're the rock god of your life, of what you're doing, you can then be that person. And I can finally be the, the gentle, kind person that can sit in an audience. You'll never know I'm there. Because either you're doing a good job or you're doing a bad job. It doesn't matter. I'm, I know who I am. I know that I don't need to step on you. I, have, I can control the power that I have inside of me as far as leadership, as far as saying things, as far as making things right. Because I understand who I am. And that's what global domination was. Is actually... <laughs> So I finally found my niche. So I, I did this business thing, you know, became the manager, but I didn't do much with it. And then job after job, I get promised after that, I get promised management positions. And I'll be used. I would be used as a leader. Uh, I, I would literally, I mean, it was openly known that I was like the night shift guy. I was the person who ran the nights. Yet, I would never act 
actually be given the power or the pay. And that's because I didn't believe I was deserving of it. And you could, you could argue all kind of different other surface things business-wise, but the reality is I didn't believe I deserved the power or the pay. I believed that I could do the job, I can run this better than anybody else, but I need others to be successful. That's what I believed. That was what I believed in my first network that I built called the Bear Calling Nation, and it failed because of that belief. But I still rose because I still understood what it was. See, you can live in these conflicts. You can live in a paradox. And that was my paradox forever is I know I'm great, destined for greatness, but I'm not good enough. I have to have others to get me to greatness. That was the paradox I lived in for a long time. It wasn't until podcasting came around that I still worked out that demon. I still worked out that monster of going through, through that and seeing my success and having the people I love around me, my wife, I remember one day my wife said, I hate your show. Your show is horrible, but you are a great producer. You do these amazing things that make me laugh. And that's what she locked in on then. And it's kind of hard to get her away from that now because she, she remembers not enjoying the shows that I do. She didn't enjoy success freaks because of certain things that she saw. She definitely didn't enjoy my early days of stuff because it wasn't her style. But she was, man, you're such a great producer. You, you come out, you just know the right thing to put in at the right moment. One show I did, the earliest show I did was a comedy show. And I would, I would know to pull in the pinking. It's funny, Mike, that you mentioned pinking the brain because I used pinking the brain clips in that show all the time. I used family guy clips that it would just stick in my brain. And I'd hear my brother-in-law and I did the show together. I'd hear my brother-in-law say something. And I'm like, oh, that'd be so funny. And I had the ability and the time to spend hours watching DVDs of family guy with my computer and the ability to record sound clips. And I'd find that clip that I had in my head and I would record it and I'd make a huge library of these clips. And then when we do the show and I hear him say something, when I produce the show, I'd go ahead and put these clips in and they'd be perfect. And she loved that. She says, you're a great producer. So having those things where people are like, man, you're really good at this, man, you're really good at that. And then seeing people when I was finally brutally honest and that was Bear Crawling Nation. Well, it's called Bear Crawling and then Bear Crawling Nation and then House of the Bear. But the whole thing was brutal honesty, brutal honesty. And being brutally honest with myself, I was able to exercise a lot of these monsters, a lot of these demons. But being that brutally honest and having the first person ever, stranger, to listen to my show and write in and say, man, you're talking to my life. You're, you're saying amazing things to my life. Who I know will listen to this show. Uh, his name is uh, Dave, uh, CB. He, he actually... I hung out with him in Chicago uh, this past summer when I was there. Uh, he was the first to write in. And it was on this show based on my thoughts on Black History Month. And the, just to let you know, the thoughts on Black History Month with, it's not enough. Are you kidding me? We spend one month out of the year talking about black history and then the rest of the year talking about anything else? That's dumb. And then and the flip side of that is now... Uh, my son went to fifth grade school and his teacher, which we complained about because this is stupid, spent the entire year talking about slavery, not black history, slavery. Anyway, I'm about to get off on that. I don't want to get off on that. That's, both of those things are wrong. And that was my point in that show. And it, it rung true. It hit him home. He, he was shocked by how I said it because he, he thought he knew what was going to happen because of how people talk. And he thought he knew it was going, and it just took a whole left turn. He's like, whoa, I didn't know it was going to go there. And wow, you've got a really good point. And he wrote to me and said that. And that, shortly after that, really shortly after that, 
Because that show was Metal Attitude meets Talk Radio, and I was this really long-haired guy with uh, Amish metal goatee, which was, that was what somebody called it. But instead of having a goatee, I'd cut stripes in it essentially and had two outer you know, stripes of hair and one inner stripe of hair with space in the middle. Very metal. Man, I still love that look. It's very metal, very badass. And so I called it Metal Amish because I let it grow like really long too. So really three long spikes of hair. <laughs> and I had really long, you know, beyond shoulder length hair. And so I was, I was middle attitude meeting stock radio and I became, I started introducing myself as the rock god of podcasting because I was doing this whole rock vibe. I'm the rock god of podcasting. And that became true because that's really who I was. So coming to world domination, it really comes down to understanding who you are and how's that going for me now? Man, it's so amazing because I always keep my focus on that one day I am destined for greatness and that I don't have to take the air out of the room to be that. I mean, understanding those two major things, understanding who I was from the core at 12 years old, I am great. I'm destined for greatness. And then learning the hard way many times over, I don't have to grip. I don't have to hold. I don't have to control. In fact, trying to do any of these things just strangles your relationships to death. It just kills everything you want to do. Trying to control it, trying to grip it, make a fist as high as you can, listener. Praise Jesus. Make a fist as high as you can. I feel like a preacher at this point. I want my audience. I want my people to close your eyes and envision this. <laughs> make a fist as tight as you can. <laughs> do you feel that? Tell me you feel that. Now pass the plate, brother. Anyway, no. <laughs> but seriously, when I control, that's what I feel. When I feel that that sense of I have to control something kick in, I feel like my fist is clenching. And you can't put you can't put anything new in that fist. You can't get more new greatness. It, it, Dave Ramsey uses the dollar scenario. You hold on to that dollar tight, I can't give you the hundred dollars instead of that one dollar because your fist is closed. That was that you can't dominate. You can't grow. You can't be the rock out of podcast and the rock out of your life. You can't do that. If your fist is closed. So learning that you're learning that made me the nicest guy in the room until I met Brian Ibbett, who's the nicest guy in the podcast. <laughs> uh, but it allowed me to step up and meet one of the founding fathers of podcasting to the point that we did a show together. You know, Brian Ibbett has done cover of been super successful. He's easily one of the most successful people in podcasting because he understood, I believe it's because he understood who he was when he started. He understood his passions, his love, what he was good at when he started. And again, the same lessons of, of not controlling, of understanding who you are. He became successful very easily. And I met him. I did an interview with him and I saw he's playing the game and went, Hey, I play that game too. And we, man, we're real people and talking to you, forget podcasting, forget, forget levels of success. Forget all the other stuff. We just talked about the game. And then we talked about doing the show. And now I guess we're going on three years later. We've been doing a show together. We decided to build a network together. And that leads up to uh, Pokemon Go is, uh, who knows, if you're listening to this 10 years in the future, Pokemon Go may go down in history as what changed society and brought upon world peace. <laughs> I don't know. But right now, as this, this recording, it's only been out for two weeks. The game has been out for roughly a little over two weeks now, and it is changing the world, and it's going crazy. And because of the work that Brian Abbott and I have done, and because we both focus on the future, we know we're going to do more. The dream is to 100% make our everyday living from podcasting, because that's our niche. 
our niche is podcasting. Our niche is talking in this medium that we can control that nobody can tell us no. You know, that's our niche. And being understanding that, understanding where we are. Finding your niche is a big thing. Understanding where your greatness is. Finding that. Maybe you're the greatest husband in the world. Maybe you're the greatest wife. Maybe you're the greatest teacher. Maybe you're the greatest uh, iron worker. May, you know, gr- garbage collector. Understanding where your greatness comes will really fast forward what you do. And when I hit podcasting 12 years ago, man, that was it. I knew. I knew this was it. And I could tell you a whole that story, but I'm not going to go into it because I'm running out of time. And I, I, I need to control myself and stay on track. I, I want that. I desire that. So he and I working together and just keeping this open mind of what does the future look like? I don't know, but we're going to get there. I mean, I've got ideas. I've got colors. I've got here's what it can look like. Here's some of the, the big dreams and the goals because he gets that. The only time he's ever asked me a, a serious question about business was when we first started a network and I'm recruiting shows and he's learning me. Brian Abbott was learning me as I was learning him. And he goes, he asked me straight up, he goes, well, what's, what's the right number of shows to have for a network? And I went, I don't know, man. All I know is we have these gaps and I'm filling them with perfect people. And when gaps are filled, I'm going to, we'll stop filling. And he goes, that's a good answer. You know, because he thought, he thought I had this lack, this, this need of going, oh, we need 12, we need 15, we need 18, I'm just going to take whatever. And it, it scared him because he knew that wasn't true about business, about anything you do. And when I answered the way I answered, he goes, okay, no, we're cool. Go forth and conquer, you know. Uh, and that, that's the kind of, that kind of answers we have. Because of that, with Pokemon Go, the short version is this genius of a man named Bo had seen the game coming had been a good podcaster before that, had already done a couple of good shows, successful shows, and on a, on a smaller level, but still successful. And he, he's a born host. He's amazing at what he does. And he saw the game Pokemon Go coming. He'd been playing Ingress, which has been out for four years before that, which was the precursor to this. And he heard the rumors and then the official development of it. So he started a podcast once a month called Pokemon Go Podcast. And had bought the URL, had everything going, and already built up a good audience. So the day the game launches, which you're already behind at that point, right? He wasn't. That show hit number one in gaming in the U.S. And number one in gaming overall, uh, a lot of places in the world. Hit number one overall in other places in the world. Huge. Blew up immediately, right? It happened at the same time he met myself and Brian Ibbett. And he knew he had stuff going on in his life that he wasn't going to be able to take this show where it needed to go. And so because of the path that Brian and I took, because of the path, let's just take Brian out. It's because of the path that I took, and I give credit to people who get credit. That's why I keep throwing Brian into it. Paul Klotz, a bunch of people in my life have been very influential to where I've come from. But for the purpose of this story, let's just keep it simple because of the path I've stayed on, because of who, how I focused, because of in the hardest, darkest times when nobody was listening to my show and I felt like a loser, I stayed the course. I said, no, I'm just, I'm not in the right, I'm not hitting the right notes here. Let me go and figure out what the right notes are because I know this is the niche. I know I'm destined for greatness and I see the effect I have on other people. Even though I can't get this show to grow, then that means I'm in the wrong place because I can go and I can talk to people and I keep getting confirmation that I'm doing the right thing. Because of that, because of of just never locking the future into one ideal, just going, the future is us 
going to all these cons and being on panels just like the TV stars and talking about what we do. And the future is us making our living doing what we love. And the future is just being these rock stars. And I'm talking about rock star money. I'm talking about all of it, that, that life that you see, that you live, because that's greatness. And that's how we influence. Because honestly, that's the way the world works. You have to be a big, bright, shining star for them to give a damn. Because everybody thinks like I did. I'm not worthy. I need you to tell me something to make my life worthwhile. And that's what stars do. That's why we like celebrities. That's why we like uh, uh, people who become big. And also, also why we try to tear them down. But that's a whole other story. Because my vision has been on that. And because I focus on doing the best that I can do. And I have high standards of what I do. And I don't care that this is a free medium. I don't care that this is a, a place that... that you can do whatever and people will listen. Not all people, but some people will listen. I don't care. I put standards on myself early on and I held them high. And because of that, Bo with the Pokemon podcast had seen Ibis and I's work, met us, understood us instantly and said, here, you take this podcast. You are the perfect people for this. Go make it way more amazing than it is right now. And I believe he's actually, hopefully, I believe he's going to stick with the show. But talk about world domination now. Never seeing it coming. Never planning to do a Pokemon show. I didn't even plan to play the game because, you know, Pokemon's cool. I don't have that nostalgia. I never really played it as a kid. I've, I've been around. I've messed with it from time to time. My daughter's into the card game, so I think that's cool. I'm learning it for her and helping. But it wasn't something that I was like, oh, that's my passion, man. That's my jam. I'm going to do this show. I never would have started this thing. I would like, and when he told me, when Bo first said, I have the URL, I didn't even realize he had the podcast. He goes, I have the URL. I was like, oh, that's genius, man. You're going to make a lot of money selling that to somebody. That was very smart. And he gave it to us. And now Brian and I helm what is po po poised to be the largest podcast in the world. We're poised to surpass Serial which was an NPR huge show that exploded last year. But with this game, this game is not available in all countries. And as of today, this recording, I saw an article saying it has broken records in the iTunes app store for downloads. Broken, shattered records. It hasn't been out two weeks. Shattered records for daily usage. Shattered records for downloads. It has shattered them. And we're sitting on the top of that wave, getting handed the keys to this kingdom to say, you guys are amazing. Go do what you do with this. That's where I'm at with world domination right now. And I think it's going to open up more doors. I don't <laughs> One simply does not walk into Mordor. <laughs> one has to work 12 years. Actually, one has to work 37 fucking years to walk into Mordor, man. Hey, you want to take it back to 12? I'm not going to do the math on it. You do it, but it's still, what is it? Okay, I'll do the math on it. Damn it. 12, 22, 32, 20 plus years. One had to work 20 plus years to walk into Mordor. <laughs> so I think this is going to open up so much more for me. I think this is going to change life so much more for me. I know as a business person, the business aspects of it, it's, it's going to make money. It's going to do well and provide me a living. And provide it and everybody involved with it a living. And we're going to do so many great things with it. But that's where I am. Man, that's my world domination right now. And all that hardship, all that seriousness, all that darkness, because I fought through it, because I, because I held on to that core, because of that ultimate decision that really would have already been made in my life when I was around 14 years old. 
and that dark, dark, dark time came, and I was like, "Do I kill myself?" Which I, I've made that voice. I look back and it's stupid because I was never going to do that. Do I, or do I watch the world burn? Well, those weren't the only choices. But ultimately, going, I watched the world burn meant I embrace who I am. I'm going to take this over, and that's you've heard the story. You know what? I'm just circling now, so I'll just say that world domination is staying the course knowing who you are even when the rest of the world including your wife including your family including everybody everybody when nobody in those moments when nobody can see it nobody can understand what you see stay the course understand your greatness destined for greatness and understand you are the rock god of your life that's it i'm rock god of podcasting follow me on facebook.com forward slash rock god of podcasting twitter's at Rock out a pod, and uh, you know you can go to charlesmcfall.com and leave a speak pipe message. We'd like to have your questions for the show, so record your questions there. Charlesmcfall.com. There's a speak pipe. Go ahead and do that, or bearcrawling at gmail.com. Bear